Hey, Jason Wood here, the VA Loan Guy, bringing you another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. We have an awesome guest today, Melanie Burke Holder, running for state assembly and a former Secret Service agent. You got to check this one out. Hey, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. Our guest today is Melanie Burkholder. She's a former Secret Service agent and running for state assembly. Yeah. Melanie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's completely my pleasure to be here. I'm very excited about this. I love the title of the show. It, you know, brought me in right away. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, for our guests, I think the um, your background is especially unique because you served in the Secret Service, which is kind of a secret. I mean, people don't know a lot about the Secret Service, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of an, I mean, it's an arm of law enforcement, sure. but, um, you know, you think of it like movies and stuff and protecting the president, but there's more to it than that, right? Yeah. Um, and um, for those that don't know, maybe a little history, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Secret Service was originally a de- part of the Department of the Treasury, mm-hmm. right? It happened like back in the 1800s to- 1856. Yeah, to prevent the, or to go after- um, counterfeit money. Yeah. And there was actually different currency um, around and we, you couldn't compare like, can I take money from Idaho and use it in Wyoming or, you know, so it was a, there was a lot of counterfeit and that was part of what we did. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And then fast forward, it's now, now part of Department of Homeland Security. Correct. After 9-11, that's when it kind of went into uh, Department of Homeland Security. That's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about Secret, like what inspired you to get into law enforcement or the secret service and tell us about like that path and getting into it. Because I think to me, it's super interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Like you got secret service, CIA and FBI, like all these like cool law enforcement arms. And I think for most people, it's just kind of what you see on the movies or TV, right. About it. But um, like, how do you get involved in that? Like, how do you get down that track? Like, Hey, I want to be one of those kind of people. How do you get there? Well, I'll tell you this. I never um, grew up saying I can't wait to be secret service agent. And (laughs) I I learned when I got into it that people did. That that was something that, you know, five-year-olds would say, when I grow up, I'm going to be a secret service agent. And they did, their lives led them in that path, right? Um, Great, mad respect for folks like that. But I was originally, um, like I am now, a mental health therapist. And um, I'm a recovering marathon runner. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know what got in my crazy head that made me think I needed to run marathons. But anyway, I had a, tra- a training group, you know, so the, the folks that you run with and you're on miserably long four hour training runs and you're talking oh about everything in the, in the world. And I was complaining about my job because I was making less money as a therapist than I made um, as a bartender, working my way through college, you know, so, oh so it didn't make very much sense to me. And so I ran with an AUSA, okay, they prosecute federal crimes. Okay. And um, another guy was a chief of police. And I'm from Memphis, originally, Tennessee. Okay. And so um, as I'm complaining, they're thinking to themselves, why, do, why don't you go down to the Secret Service and talk to the uh, special agent in charge, the SAC, and, um, you know, see if maybe that would be a good fit. Because I, love to travel. I've traveled like a lot and all over the world. And I um, was single at the time. And I was like, well, that sounds like a good idea. Um, Never really thought about it too much. But when I went there, um, I had a a master's degree at the time and being female, um, there were only about 700 female agents when I was hired um, and 2,400 total agents. So um, it was a good fit for them. And so they basically recruited me for the next 
um, year because, you know, in the government's infinite wisdom, it does this thing called a hiring freeze. And so they were on a hiring freeze when I... Perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, when they do the background check, part of the background is to go to every place that you've ever lived and they interview your neighbors and they talk to your employers, you know, did, did she smoke weed? Was she drunk on the, you know, whatever, like, uh, it's very intense background. And I have a funny story. <laughs> so I basically worked three jobs to put myself through college, right? One of my jobs was um, opening up the gym at like 530 in the morning, right? right. And I go to a local gym and open up. And at eight o'clock one morning, I get this phone call and it's from the Secret Service. And they're ca calling about my background check. Because part of that is your credit check. And they said to me, you have something called an I-9 on your credit report. I have no idea what that is. To this day, I don't know what it is, but it's bad. And I said, "What? I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, apparently I owed a doctor $35. And I thought, <laughs> okay, so $35 is going to prevent me from working for the United States Secret Service. Okay, so let's just talk about this. So I said, let me do some research and I'll, you know, get back with you. So I started finding out this doctor, I had paid them three times. They ended up cutting me a check for $75 because I had overpaid them or whatever. I was like, you can't make this up. I and mean, this is the most ironic thing. I never would have known that they had owed me money, but you know, they sure did. And somehow they screwed up and got my credit involved in all of it. But anyway, so that's it. They do a really thorough background check. The other thing they laughed at me about was, um, why did you move so much? <laughs> I don't know. I just moved a lot. My mom said she moved when her place got dirty. <laughs> Not true. But I did move a lot. And they have to go to all of those people. And um, it's very intense. You know, obviously, you have to have a, a polygraph examination, which is a common, commonly known as a lie detector exam. And, and the, you know, that's one of those fun things where they're like, have you ever lied to your parents? And I, being a mental health therapist, I'm all, I know this game, okay? And I'm like, uh, well, of course I have. I was a teenager. Have you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, if you've lied to your parents, how are we going to know that you're not going to lie to the United States Secret Service? Or, you know, have you ever stolen anything? Yes. When I was five, I took a piece of bubble gum and my mom found it and I had to go take it back to the store. Well, if you stole when you, a piece of gum when you were five, then how do we know you're not going to steal from the United States Secret Service? So it's kind of that game that they do. And it's... Yeah. Like, but well, it's I'm, I'm not five anymore. Yeah, I, I'm not a teenager either. Exactly. So I'm not to sneak out anymore. <laughs> or yeah, or have you ever take? You've never taken sticky pat, sticky notes from your work. I mean, it's it's really intense. I shouldn't laugh about it because people do fail it. But I, yeah. Um, and then you know, obviously, that your physical, you have to do the same like in the in the Marines and um, in the military, we have to do that: sit ups, push ups, pull ups, and uh, run. And I got so tickled in training. Um, I was elected the president of my class, which is quite an honor. Um, but we had to do pull-ups. And there were some guys that could not do pull-ups. And I'm thinking, why am I doing 20 pull-ups and you can't do one? Like, what is, what is wrong in this, with this picture right now? <laughs> it was just, oh, just those, those are the kind of things that are so frustrating. Because to me, if you have a standard, then you need to be able to meet the standard, right? It's right. not just a... It's not just a suggestion. <laughs> so, yeah. um, well, they yeah. didn't happen to stumble across getting into training at the Secret Service. Like, obviously, there was time and a plan. And Actually, yeah, could have gotten into shape, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and yeah, it's really inexcusable. I think so. <laughs> if you can't run a mile and and whatever. Anyway, um, I think it was like literally like twelve minutes, and I'm thinking. 
you had to run a mile and a half in 12 minutes. If you can't do that, how are you going to chase down someone that's, you know, a bad guy? So that kind of gives a segue, I guess. So you go through training. It's about six months long, two different training facilities. You uh, become an agent. You're awarded your gun and badge and uh, your vest and all of your equipment. You go off. And I was um, in the L.A. field office. And so if you think about the movie To Live and Die in L.A., and um, I was assigned to the counterfeit squad, which is just so fun. Um, I think a lot of people don't know what we do as agents is not only protect presidents, vice presidents, their families, foreign dignitaries, and things like that, but people like that. But we also investigate financial crimes because um, going back to the beginning of our conversation, we still do that. We do counterfeit, um, money laundering, uh, electronic crimes, uh, fraud, bank fraud, and uh, we have a whole arm um, of just threats against the president called protective intelligence. So oh, wow. while we're not on a protective detail, which means uh, you move to Washington, D.C. and you follow a specific person, um, we're investigating at, in the field offices while we're doing our protective mission. So you can imagine during a campaign year, it's, it's hectic, it's crazy, it's oh, insane. Yeah. You don't get a lot of investigations done. Um, if I were a bad guy, that's probably when I'd want to start printing money during a campaign <laughs> Right. But um, yeah, so it's just it's just really busy. I think one campaign season, it might have been the one that you worked on. I uh, spent nine nights in my own bed um, from like September of one year to like August of the next year or something like that. I mean, it's, it was a crazy amount of travel. And you're going across the you know, United States. You know, you're just I would wake up and not even know where I was. I'm <laughs> like, wait, where am I now? So it is um, crazy amounts of travel, but it's um, it's really um, it was really quite an honor to have been able to serve my country in that way. Um, I, I had the privilege of uh, protecting Jimmy Carter, every president from Carter to Bush, actually, in oh. some way, fashion or form, uh, many foreign dignitaries. Um, and you really do get a personal sense of who the people are and how they are and what they're like and uh, a bit of their personalities, you know. So that's kind of a unique, um, a new, a unique opportunity that this job has. Yeah. Um, and on also, good glory, I'm not a starstruck type person and I don't know very many actors and actresses because I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, and if I watch a movie, I just like enjoy it and forget about it. Right. <laughs> so um, the Clintons were really big into the Hollywood scene. And so we went to lots of different um, events, you know, protecting them and, you know, Sharon Stone, Barbara Streisand, like, all these people just be walking around the room and it's, it was really Pretty quite incredible. weird. Yeah. yeah. It was because, you know, they don't, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but it does to some other people, you know, some of yeah. the, some of the other agents that were more into that kind of stuff. One of my girlfriends was a key grip at one point in time and she became an agent. And so she knew all of those people, you know, cause she, she was in that business. So that's really fun. Yeah, it is fun stories. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned the campaign. So I worked on a presidential campaign in 04 for uh, Bush's reelection and um, just like learning about the personalities. Cause right. Like, the, the general public just sees what you see on TV, right. right? Which may or may not really reflect their true nature, like how they are off the camera, right? Yeah. And um, I just remember he he's well, a lot shorter than I imagined he would be. <laughs> he's not a very tall guy, uh, but um, pretty spunky dude. Yeah. Like, you know, he just has a lot of character, a lot of personality. He is. And he's also very genuine. Mm -hmm. I mean, he. I remember walking Ben walking behind them on the way back to their room after some sort of dinner they went to. 
And um, he's like, that was, that was really good chicken. Do you like the chicken tonight? It was really good. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, that was good chicken. <laughs> okay, this is the president of the United States talking about their chicken dinner. But they were genuinely very kind and um, kind people, kind to the Secret Service um, agents. I was at uh, the ranch in Waco one night working a midnight shift. Uh, fortunately, I did have on cowboy boots, which I'm, I wear all the time. I'm wearing now. <laughs> and I'm walking from one post to another. And I brushed up against something, and I was like, I mean, it's midnight. It's pitch black. It's in Waco. I mean, there's nothing. You know, you can see nothing, right? Right. So I'm like, what was that? And I turn around, and I take out my flashlight, and I go back. It was a freaking rattlesnake coiled up, and I, like, woke it, you know? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So (laughs) I got away from that really fast because I thought that is – that. It was huge. And I know my snakes because I'm from Tennessee. I've shot plenty of them um, at my grandmother's house. But, like, holy moly. So I'm just on the radio. Obviously, I can't shoot the snake. It's the middle of the night. Um, so I'm on the radio. Probably would have in trouble if you did that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, like, calling, just saying, you know, just be aware. There's a giant snake um, in between posts, whatever it was, you know, and whatever it was, so that people could know that, man, that scared the stew out of me. And I was also um, – you remember when uh, Dick Cheney shot the guy accident? Yeah. Okay. How do you forget? So, <laughs> yeah, I was actually on that trip too. And I have a child named Cheney, spelled exactly the same way because he's named after Dick Cheney. So I love the man. Um, he. It was a horrible, horrible accident to have happened. Um, accidental discharges are always accidents, right? They don't. Right. They're not called on purposes. So um, that was a unique experience. But man, you talk about you could just see the the absolute heartbreak you know oh, i'm sure yeah yeah that was really difficult yeah how long did you serve in the secret service then? um so from 2001 to 2006 okay. all of my time was spent in the la field office um and you know traveled around i actually um had been to jackson hole wyoming have you ever heard of that place i have yeah well, a big ski nut. So okay. it's on the list. <laughs> okay, you're gonna love it. Um, I had been there in the early '90s with a girlfriend, and I knew it's just a fascinating place. And it just so happens the vice president, Dick Cheney, has a residence there, and so I would volunteer every chance I got to go to Jackson because it's just amazingly beautiful. And um, I love to ski and uh, hike and fly fish and, you know, raft and all the fun stuff that you can do, ride horses, obviously. Um, but I actually also met my husband there. Um, oh, awesome. he, he was a bouncer at the cowboy bar. <laughs> no joke. My mom said that, what if he's an axe murderer? I'm like, mom, I have a gun. Like, he's not an axe murderer. He had, he had taken off work um, and moved out there to be a ski bum and to enjoy his life for a year because um, he was working really hard. And so when I met him, he literally was a bouncer. And I actually was posted up at the hospital um, because, you know, Cheney has heart issues. So we always had an agent at the hospital and um, which is a sweet gig, by the way. I mean, I, I sit in a sit in a room and read and do puzzles and you know, yeah, wait, make not sure he's not coming in, you know, like, right. but that man, he would get up, you know, he has to get a CIA briefing four thirty, five 5 o'clock in the morning, goes on the river, does not come back until seven in the evening. I mean, he has stamina like you have never seen. And that's like on a vacation day, but that's what he does during wow. for his vacation. So, um, he's an amazing individual for sure. It's his whole family to me. I really appreciate them. But, um, so I was working at the hospital. He thought I was a doctor. 
like, you know, a heart doctor or something. No, that's what the military does. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, we met um, on Cash Street, C-A-C-H-E Street in Theron Jackson, um, while I was working for Dick Cheney. So our sons are named Cash and Cheney. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. That's a cool story. Yeah. So. Awesome. And how old are your kids now? 11 and 12. Right on. So my 12-year-old's taller than me. Um, wears like a ten and a half shoe. I'm like, you're going to be a giant. So make mama money somehow. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Um, so what happened after secret service? Yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't want to go to the details. So, um, actually at the time I separated from the service, I was a team leader in my squad. So basically everybody in the squad, the agents, we have to produce reports. And when we do arrest warrants, search warrants, we're going to court where, you know, we have to report all of the stuff. And so I was reading everyone's reports and making sure, you know, they had the right legal things and the right charges and all that. And then, um, giving them back, like, you know, kind of like a teacher would make these corrections. And then, so at the time I separated, I was doing that and, um, I was just about to go to the detail, which would mean I would relay, relocate from the LA field office to DC. And I didn't particularly want to do that. I wanted to um, get married and have a family. And so that's what I did. Awesome. Yeah. And so the one thing that's great about, you know, if your listeners are wondering what they're going to do with their lives, um, one thing that's great about what I do is um, it has a license connected to it. So much like real estate license or brokerage or whatever. Um, so I had a license in three different states. This is my fourth, maybe fifth. I can't remember now um, to practice counseling. So when I uh, when I went to work for the federal government, they would not let me maintain my credentialing, right? So okay. um, that was considered a conflict, and you don't want to be distracted doing your other, you know, just continuing ed credits and all that kind of stuff. Makes sense, yeah. So I um, resigned my license, but I did it in a way that meant that I could reinstate my license as long as I could, uh, you know, c collect all of the continuing ed requirements and any testing or anything that they had mandated in between. So that's what I did. I essentially, um, when I came here, I um, got my license in the state of California, and then I got a PhD, and um, just because I, I just wanted to, and and it's in a cl clinical Christian counseling. So um, it's been really fun to be able to have that life experience, and I think that's really led me to where I am today as a candidate for the state assembly. Yeah. Um, it's just a very unique background. Nobody in Sacramento has this background, and I always say I will take the same fight to Sacramento that I took to the streets of L.A. to the bad guys when I was in the Secret Service because that's literally what you have to do these days in California um, is is fight for folks like me that are Republicans that are on the right that that have uh, the idea of less government, fewer taxes, more freedoms, more liberties. You know, parental rights are being taken away from us. We have so many things going on in California that um, is reflective of the last thirty years of democratic leadership that is just failing us as as citizens. Yeah, yeah uh, really. it really is. So, um, when you have an interesting perspective too from the Secret Service side of seeing these politicians and just kind of like what it takes behind the scenes, right? You sure like, do. Like that, like you're explaining about Dick Cheney and like his energy levels and yeah. you know, all the presidents, you, you name any of them, right? Or vice presidents. But I mean, the level <clears throat> of energy and like the hours of the day that they're like on, on, you know, they're totally, they're switched on all the time. Yeah. And um, so having, I think that perspective is 
you know, cool feather in your cap too. Yeah, it really is. Because you do see, like I was um, alluding to earlier, you do see a bit of their personalities come through. I remember being on the John Kerry and Teresa Hines uh, campaign trail. And I'm, I'm just so glad they never got to be president. I mean, <laughs> Me I'm too. really thankful for that because that was um, kind of a disaster. I remember seeing, you know, I, like I said, the Hollywood elitists, the, the Clintons, they would stay at this person's house. And I cannot remember because, again, it's an actor. I want to say Marlon Brando. Obviously, he's dead. But whoever, it was like his house. I mean, you know, there was uh, Renoir's, Monet's hanging in this place, you know. Um, and I can remember seeing, she drove up in her... SUV and he wasn't at the door, uh, Mrs. Clinton and, and the president was not at the door to greet her and she wouldn't get out of the car until he came. And wow. then when he came, she walked right past him. I was like, what is happening right now? There's no love in this. There's no love there. Like there's just, no, I would never, ever want to be in that type of relationship. You know? Yeah. I think it, I mean, you could see that on TV, even when they were in office. That, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a political arrangement at that it, point. At best, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Unique perspective, I think it helps, um, you know, particularly when we're facing issues in San Diego County about homelessness, um, mental health issues, um, housing affordability. You know, I have, have a very unique um, background to address that. And, you know, we have this COVID um thing going on now and you know my opponent's first tweet since january was literally about a, her fish hatcheries bill and i i'm appalled i'm thinking to myself okay people are um, abused neglected domestic violence is on the rise suicide rates ideation is on the rise um people are out of work unemployed losing jobs losing homes having to deal with a global pandemic and your focus is on fish hatcheries seems a little out of touch to me yeah, well, so goes it with most of our elected officials yeah. in the state, right? Just completely out of touch with what is really the the heart of the matter. So, um, in your your campaign, so I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons to be motivated to run for office um, if you're a conservative in this state, right? Just seeing the degradation that's happened over the last thirty years. But um, what really like so sparked true. you to throw your hat in the ring and say, "I'm going to give this a shot and go after it"? Um, you you know what when. I always say, you can mess with me. I'm a big girl. I can take it. Um, you know, I signed up to take bullets for presidents. I'm pretty sure I can take shots fired from an, a political opponent. Um, but when you start messing with my kids, you're really, you're really rattling the cage. And that sentiment resonates with everybody else that I've talked to that's a parent, not just a mom, but a parent. Um, because we have what's happening in California is they're taking our parental rights away from us. They're trying to say the government can raise our children better than parents. And that's just not a fact. <laughs> in fact, we sure. know what government does for us. Hey, uh, what did Ronald Reagan say? I'm the, I'm the, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you better like run the other way. Right. right. Um, because we know they don't handle things well. And, and really they're, they're meddling into our parental rights, our property rights. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys are aware of some of the assembly bills that are coming out. They say you probably are because if your business, but yeah. you know, AB 1471, I think it was, was the rental property. Uh, you can only rent your property out for 30 days of a calendar year. My opponent authored that legislation. It was so poorly received that it's 
started at the state level. It dwindled down to Encinitas, and then she pulled it the day before they were supposed to vote on it because it was a you know horribly ill-conceived idea. But that's just another example of taking our property rights away from us. You know these ADUs that they want us to build um, to accommodate homeless people. This, these are ideas coming out of Sacramento. Um, I'm not willing to let my property go to a homeless person if I don't want to invite that person into my home. Right. Right. Um, this is the, the, these are just a big over and then taxes, 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 housing affordability because of all of the impact fees the developers have to pay. Um, and and simply, this is the 100th year of the suffragette movement. OK, a 100th year where, where the uh, 19th got ratified, where women could vote. And guess what day it happened on 100 years ago? My freaking birthday. Yay. I'm so excited. <laughs> My opponent, on the other hand, wants to legislate that. Women should be on all boards. You should have a woman on all different boards. And, you know, I, that is such an insult, in my opinion. I, I don't care if I'm a female. It should not be about your gender. It should be about, I don't know, your qualifications. Oh, yeah, what you bring to the table. <laughs> yeah. Um, so literally, these are things that she's, uh, you know, authoring. And they're passing because we have a supermajority of Democrats um, in Sacramento, we just have to change that. This seat, I love this. Math is in my favor, right? Math does not lie. Um, and so this is a very vulnerable seat. It's being targeted as a vulnerable seat. She was, She's a freshman incumbent. It has historically been a Republican seat. We didn't have a Republican on the ballot in 2018. So it's you're definitely Surprising, not going to... There wasn't even somebody there to vote for, yeah. Well, that's because there was a big scandal. Um, and the Democrats essentially set up the Republican candidate. And um, everything that they accused him of was um, proven false in court. And the person went to jail that actually made the accusations. But this is how dirty um, politics is. And so when you ask me what I'm doing... That, you know why I want to throw my hat into the ring. It's it's not because you feel like you're naked on a street corner because that's literally like what you feel like. Um, but uh, you you have to be able to protect yourself. You know they they will. Um, the saying is, I will stop telling the truth about you when you stop lying about me. I mean that's literally kind of where we are in politics. And at least it's so divisive. It's, it's so extraordinarily divisive. And we have so much more in common than we don't have in common, right? I worked with Democrats in, in my city of Carlsbad to pass, um, actually, uh, it's called the Integrated Pest Management Plan, but it's basically non-toxic Carlsbad where we don't use glyphosate in the entire city of Carlsbad now. Uh, and that's Roundup. Uh, we use an organic alternative. And I worked diligently with um, some Democrats and one other Republican. And, you know, that's not the threat to me. The city council incidentally passed that five to zero and actually had no increase in taxes to the people of Carlsbad. So we were really proud of that accomplishment. But working with Democrats is not really a challenge for me. It's um, a socialist or a Marxist uh, path in California that prevents me from from um, saying that this is a great idea. Like this is this is not where we want to go. It's not where we need to go. Pretty soon they're literally going to be taxing the air we breathe. Um, yeah. That's no joke. So it's like... We have to do something because I'm not going to put my head in the sand, even though it would be so easy to do just to, yeah, to go to the beach with my son this afternoon and not have to sit on the phone and make a hundred phone calls for fundraising. Um, but to, to not put my head in the sand and wake up in 10 years and say, where did all my rights go? What happened to my freedom and my personal liberty? And, you know, I, I would have to leave the state and I'd have no intention of doing that. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately the good people are leaving as you probably well know. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, people are 
running out of here in droves. Yeah. Um, they can't afford it. I mean, it, it, they cannot afford it. And now we have a governor who's, if his hair is out of whack in the morning, he changes his mind about stuff. I mean, I, I don't know. They they dream up numbers like this 14 days or 5% of this or 30 of that, this AB5, the gig economy killing bill that they passed, my opponent supported. Freelance writers could sit at home during COVID and write and earn a living for themselves, and they are prevented by law from doing that in the state of California. And you know what else? The EDD, the Economic Development Department, is doing audits on people now that are 1099 employees, but who did they hire to do the audits? They had to go outside of California. It would have been breaking their own law. What a slap in the face to everybody that is in the gig economy. This is what your state is doing to you. We can do better, and we deserve better. And, um, you know, I could talk about this hours on end because it's just how passionate I am about it. Um, I don't see the same fire in the belly in my opponent. Um, so it's going to be interesting. She won't even debate me. Like, I can't even get her on a Zoom call. Hey, come on. Well, they the won't game. debate. It's probably because they know they can't, they can't fight. Yeah. You know? Well, um, you, you, I don't, the people deserve to hear. The people they do. That. I mean, they really should be able to see and hear that contrast same yeah. with our upcoming presidential election, which yeah. debates may not happen now from what you see. But um, <laughs> it's just it's just crazy. What what veteran issues are you seeing that are facing California right now? I, I'm so glad you asked me that question, because one of the ways that I think that we can actually work with the Democrats is bringing it as a veteran issue. So uh, lots of veterans in um, California in particular, when they retire, they tend to move out of the state. And so I want to look, and I'm, I'm creating a cabinet, if, if you will, of, uh, of people that are knowledgeable about this that can help me create this legislation. Um, basically, a lower, lesser tax impact to the veterans, especially ones that are retired, because it will retain their uh, residency in California. I mean, they're moving because they go farther. Their dollar goes farther in Tennessee or Idaho or whatever. Yeah, Arizona. Um, Arizona. Um, So I think that would be a really good – so, you know, I say build bridges, not walls. And I think that would be a really good way to build a bridge and um, with with Democrats. And I think I could get bipartisan support uh, with that because the question I get often is, what are you going to do? It's a super majority. Well, first of all, get me elected (laughs) and and let's break that up Um, because there are three really, really targeted races that we think we're going to be successful in uh, the assembly. So um, I think that would be the place I would start. And then, you know, surround myself with folks that are veterans that can help me understand uh, what their needs are. And, you know, it's just uh, it's just oppressive and repulsive to me that we are giving money uh, by way of earned income tax credits to illegals. Children's we're giving money to um, illegals um, and we are not taking care of our own veterans. Yeah, I see the same issue and frustration. I mean, if we're going to be giving money to anybody. Right. Give it to the people that rose their right hand and right. said, I'll die for you. You yeah. know, um, that's who we should be taking care of the most. Amen. And um, yeah, I, I see it quite a bit with, um, you know, the veteran community that that I serve in the, in the mortgage business. And, um, you know, the benefit, the other perk or benefit, mm-hmm. if you can get something like that, you know, voted on and, and through is, um, you know, veteran home ownership has the um, lowest default rate of any other. Yeah home ownership, you know, category across the nation. So, I mean, if you look at it from a macro level for the state of California, and obviously, you know, 
the, the state and the country has its, you know, ups and downs when it comes to economies and sure. things like that and, and home values and foreclosures and, you know, job losses and stuff. And COVID is not helping any of that situation. But um, when you look at that from a, a macro level, you know, a lot of these veterans um, are educated, well-employed, um, you know, they have, if they did a full, full term in the military, they got a retirement, probably some disability pay, like, like they're great citizens to keep in your sure. state, right? Mm -hmm. Because not only are they supporting our biggest industry, which right. is housing, which supports so many other industries, um, but you know, they're great caretakers of, oh, yeah. of everything. Right. And so, you know, what, what better person to help and, and keep here, exactly. you know, then let them run off. And, you know, um, I've, my campaign and I have been at the Veterans Association in North County for every for every second Friday of the month. Um, they distribute food, and it's a it's a parade of cars, so you, they, nobody nobody gets out. We're all uh, practicing all of the safety and um, COVID uh, um, um, rules, but it is the funnest day of the month for me. I absolutely love going there, and it's also the most heartbreaking month day of the month because. I'm thinking we serve so many thousand, over a thousand families, you know, and how, how, what people don't know is that about one in five, one in seven uh, North County residents is food insecure. Um, and during this crisis, it's not, nothing is getting better for them, right? Right. And um, people don't think about that kind of thing. So uh, people don't think about the child that's abused. Uh, teachers are mandated reporters. Abuse is not getting reported because the kids are not in school. I mean, it's a it's a myriad of problems that we face. But I think, you know, if, if I'm partnering with Vance, Vance already um, on a number of different things, this food distribution is just one. But I think um, we we need to do better. Again, we we deserve better, and we need to do better. Yeah. People are accountable, and when when they are accountable, and when they feel like they're um, contributing members to society, we do better. Totally. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Um, well, where can people get in touch with you if they want to, you know, support your campaign or just read more, learn more about you and, and, you know, the issues and things that you support, where can they reach you best? Sure. Um, melanie4assembly.com is my website. It's, um, F O R not the number and not F O U R, but <laughs> melanie4assembly.com. And, um, you know, you can email me, uh, Melanie at Melanie4Assembly.com. Um, I'm always available to constituents. People uh, actually kind of are shocked that I'm uh, calling them back immediately after I receive an email. Because if I do receive an email and I want to reply to it, it often goes into spam. So I just pick up the phone and, you know, hey, this is Melanie. I got your email. So, yeah, um, please do reach out however you want to because we got to take the seat back. Um you can donate online. Those are always helpful. To I've got tons of uh, of props here that I brought, um, and this is examples of how the money gets spent. Right, and you've got to have all these pieces and parts to a campaign, uh, as you know. And I have a great team. I have uh, I think forty five volunteers that are just working nonstop right now, um, and we go out and knock on doors every Saturday. That's probably my second favorite thing to do is is knock on doors. Vance being the first one, the food thing. Um, but it's a good way to, you know, talk with the voter, find out what's on their minds, make sure they're going to vote. 60% of this nation, this is my last point, 60% of this nation are evangelical Christians. Of those, 50% vote. Of those, only 20 are, are registered. Of those, only 25% go to the polls. So we've got to get people out to vote November 3rd. Yeah. I mean, getting out to vote is super critical. And it, 
I mean, probably a whole nother topic of discussion we could <laughs> chat about, which is the mail-in ballot thing and the ballot oh, harvesting yeah. and, and all that just goofiness that's happening. Voter rolls haven't been cleaned in California in a you know, hundred years. So yeah, let's go off the voter rolls. Let's do that. That seems like a brilliant idea. Yeah. You know, no no uh, fraud there at all. Yeah. Right. I know. It's just, it's an absolute mess. Well, um, we hope that, that you win. Thank you. And can get in there and, and help clean some stuff up because the state of California yeah. desperately needs it. It really um, does. They keep voting for the wrong people, but we're going to help, help them vote for the right person here. That's for sure. Yes, um, thank you. So, um, Melanie, thank you so much for spending some time. I know the campaign work and the campaign season is intense mm -hmm. and it's mega hours. I worked on one before and it's thankless work. So um, thank you for what you're doing and um, spending some time with us today to, no, to share your story. I really appreciate it. I, I want to thank all of my volunteers and, um, you know, this would not be happening without them. And uh, they're, they're really amazing folks. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Reach out to uh, MelanieForAssembly.com. And please support her. She can use all the help that you could give. And um, thanks so much for sharing your story. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining the Armed and Ready podcast today. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. It was super fun. Melanie was a great guest, talked about some cool stuff. For more information, if you'd like to get a hold of me, visit valonguy.us. Or if you'd like to support uh, Melanie's campaign, it's melanieforassembly.com. Thanks so much for stopping by.